0: So we're trying out a new mic, so we'll see how that goes so I don't have to walk around with a wired mic and trip over it over and over again. So if it, if it doesn't work, we'll swap out and grab that wired mic. How many were with us last week? Raise your hand. If you weren't, that's okay because I'm going to fill you in. Guess what? We're doing a little mini-series. It's called Connect Four. Last week, some of you may have got a little confused because they only covered one of the connections. It was it's friendship. Today, I'm going to cover the next three connections. Connect Four is about creating healthy relationships. I I, I believe that in order to have healthy relationships in your life, these are key to doing that. And so I'm going to start off with a couple of questions, okay? Do you consistently fellowship? Are you all listening? Everybody with me? Do you consistently fellowship with other believers? Do you find yourself in your life consistently fellowshipping with other believers? Would you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ? How many would say, yes, I consider myself... You can raise your hand on this one. I consider myself a disciple of Jesus Christ. Who, who is this in your life that you would consider a mentor? Who in your life would you consider to be a mentor? Do you know if you're a mentor? Are you mentoring somebody right now in your own life? These are important questions because all of these are in conjunction with these elements that create and cultivate healthy relationships. Each one of these fellowship, friendship, mentorship, discipleship are all key components to this. So if you can just focus for the next few minutes, stay awake, stay alert, and listen in, not not just, not just focused on the words, but focused on the message And understand the importance of developing these relationships. I think it's going to help you. I really do. I think it can change you. Um, If any of these areas are lacking in your life, the friendship, the fellowship, the mentorship, the discipleship, there's a good possibility that you're not experiencing in its fullness healthy relationships. And by the way, I'm not talking about family. These specific areas are outside of that. And so I want to jump right into this. So last week, like I said, we covered friendship and we spent a lot of time on that. And today we're going to cover the next three connections. And so we're going to look in the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bible app, you can use that. If you have the physical copy of God's word, pull that out at this time. And uh, it's Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2... The writer of the book of Acts is Luke, and he is giving a picture of what the church looks like and the logistics of it and how they're processing. And so in Acts chapter 2, uh, you see something that's very important in verse 42, and that is the word fellowship. So I grew up in church. Ever since I was little, I was a part of the church. And in church, the word fellowship is overused. How many you agree with me on that one? You feel like that? How many? Raise your hand like you're with me. Okay. Yeah. Fellowship is used so often. We have a fellowship hall. We have fellowship activities like fellowship leagues and uh, the fellowship for ladies and fellowship for men. And and, uh, we call them ladies fellowship and men's fellowship. We even have fellowship of Christian magicians. Seriously, we have that. When I was a kid, I went to it. We have all kinds of fellowships. So because of that, and also, because of the fact that we've used the word fellowship the name churches, very, very often you see that specifically in Ohio. There's a lot of fellowship Baptist churches. Our sending church is Fellowship Baptist Church. We have gotten numb to what the reality of the word fellowship means. It's, we don't know it and understand it in its fullness. And because of that, I think we've lost track of the importance of it. So the word fellowship right here in this passage of Scripture is very specific, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in the breaking of bread, and prayers. And so the word fellowship here is a Greek word that denotes sharing, partnership, mutual uh, participation. In other words, fellowship works like this. It's a social and spiritual gathering of Christians. Um, Literally being social over spiritual matters. That's what fellowship is. It's, it's sharing life together the way Jesus shared life with his disciples. Let me go a little further. It's literally, um, it's literally taking life in such a way and doing it God's way. And, and that's something that I don't think people really have experienced in the church or outside of the church. Because they think they have fellowship, but they're missing out on so many elements of fellowship. So here's some thoughts. Take a moment and think about your social life. Okay, you ready? Everybody in tune with where I'm at? Yes, sir. Think about your social life. Who does your social life include? All right. Are we all using our brains right now? Who do you share life with outside of work, outside of the church, with outside of your family? Who do you socialize with? Uh, let's think about this. Is your social time filled with non-believers or believers? If the majority of your social life is filled with non-believers, how's that working out for you? How's it going? Is it benefiting you as a Christian? Are you thriving? Are you doing well? The question is, is your fellowship, the way God designed it, a part of your life? Now, I'm going to use Forge Men's Retreat as an example to really illustrate where I'm going with this. But before I get there, I want to break this down. Acts 2.42. It describes the actions and the benefits of Christian fellowship. And here's some benefits according to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. At the very beginning of the verse, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Christian fellowship, I believe this is a benefit, Christian fellowship cultivates spiritual learning. According to this passage of Scripture, we should gather with a goal, and the goal is to cultivate spiritual growth. Now, I think Hebrews 10 breaks it down a little better, a little more understandable. Verse 24, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. I mentioned this last week, the same passage of Scripture. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. It's, <clears throat> it's not that we get together just to have Bible studies, Okay. This passage of Scripture is literally saying that cultivating spiritual learning comes through just basic conversations, Christian conversations. It's when men get together and they start talking about their struggles in their marriage and how they want to be a better father and what does God's Word say about that and concerning that and how they can speak into each other's life. It's ladies getting together with other ladies and they're cultivating spiritual learning through just life and what they've experienced in their life, and the older are investing in the younger. And that's what's taking place here in Acts chapter 2. There's this cultivating of spiritual learning. That's why the Bible uses the word doctrine. That's the teachings that the apostles were using to invest into the people. They were expressing clearly, this is the way Christ lived, and this is the way we should live. And so through this exhorting one another and fellowshipping one with one another, they cultivated this fellowship. Now if all you do when you get together with the people you socialize with is talk about politics and talk about sports and talk about things that really don't matter like the, the, the movie that just came out that you just watched and how much you enjoyed it, those are nice, those aren't bad things, but that's not primary The most important focus is to cultivate spiritual learning. So when me and the guys were together in the middle of nowhere in this three-story cabin, we began to dig deep into five sessions, all focused on the life of Samson and how it related to our lives. We started off with talking about our purpose, just like Samson had a purpose. And then we would break up. Into, um, actually, we didn't even break up into groups. We just went on our own and dove deep into the questions that were in our book. And these questions were prodding these men and provoking these men to really examine themselves. Just like Hebrews chapter 10 says, to provoke unto love and good works. Where are you at with your life? And so when these men would go on their own and they start answering these questions, they start evaluating their lives. And then we would come back together and have healthy conversations that were focused on God's word. That is fellowship. He said, now, evaluate your social life. I asked you some questions in the beginning. Evaluate where you're at with the people you associate yourself with. Is there any cultivating of spiritual learning and conversations taking place? Well, he doesn't stop there. In Acts 2.42, the second part of that passage of Scripture says, in fellowship and in breaking of bread. Christian fellowship creates meaningful friendships. Everybody with me? I said a lot about this last week, and I want to dive into this too deep. But it, it, it creates meaningful fellowship. You know, they say good food I don't know if this is true. Good food is sweeter when sharing with friends. Everybody enjoys eating with somebody else, unless they're very annoying uh, annoying with the way they eat, like I illustrated a couple of weeks ago with my brother, Denny, who was on the trip. Yeah, and he sat with me when we were eating, and I was thinking, out of every, every spot in this cabin, you had to sit with me. My brother is very intentional about his food and the way he chews it. But There's something special when you get together with other folks, like-minded folks, and you eat together and live life together. Spending life with people naturally develops friendships. One of my closest friends is Mike Priest. Some of you might know Mike. Mike is one of the members of our Sending Church Fellowship Baptist. I met Mike because Mike came out to help us tear down a vacation Bible school stage. We were ripping it apart and we were working side by side. And we started talking about tools, and we started talking about life. And next thing I know, I was able to go out with him and spend some time and just meet his family. Before you know it, we cultivated, we created a meaningful relationship just doing life together. We did the same thing during Forged. These guys, we would get together and we ate together. We ate a lot, a lot of food together. We'd gather around the fire just talking about everything imaginable. Some were heated conversations, no doubt. Some were some shallow conversations, and some were very spiritual conversations. And uh, we would watch uh, a, a good, clean uh, a movie, Nacho Libre. If you haven't seen it, you should. It's a good one. And uh, we're just having fun laughing together. What's the point? That, that's all entwined in fellowship, It's cultivating, it's creating, excuse me, meaningful friendships, eating together and and fellowshipping together and working together and going to the shooting range and coming alongside of the guy that may not know how to shoot well or never handled a gun or going kayaking and the one guy keeps getting stuck, which was Mike Girardi over and over again. But by the end of it, he found himself really enjoying kayaking. It's reaching out to the guy that's trying to get out of his kayak and realizing he's going to pull you in, so you just let him go. would be Sean Pryor. Maybe I should have let him, maybe I should have had him pull me in to show my support, but I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I don't have a change of clothes. That, that's living life together. That's social. That's enjoyable. It's cultivating, it's creating meaningful friendships. But that verse doesn't stop there. The, the, verse 24, the end of it says, end in prayers. Those that pray together stay together. You've heard that, right? It's not just something on Pinterest, it's reality. The best way to be unified as people is to pray as people. Pray together. Real people going through hard times, bearing one another's burdens. Stop for a minute. Right now in your mind, think to yourself, who was the last person you sent a text to and said, hey, I'm praying for you? Or you sent a text to and says, how can I pray for you? Huh? I was just on the phone with Johnny, and Johnny was asking me, how can I pray for you? That means a lot to me. And I'm asking him, how can I pray for you? Johnny challenged me. I sweat a little bit over this, Johnny. He says, hey, I'm going to be fasting this week and you want to fast with me? I'm going to fast Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. I said, yeah, sure, we could do that. How about I fast Saturday and Monday and skip skip Sunday? And I'm like, I got to preach that day and I need to be, what an excuse, right? Johnny is just, he's just hit the ground running. He's like, I don't care what's going on. I need to fast and pray about these intimate things in my life. Who are you? Are you one of those people that are just going through life like a leaf in the wind, and you're not counting on anybody? You're just counting on yourself to get through life? Bearing one another's burdens required to lean on somebody else outside of yourself. And so when we were at this retreat, I keep on referring to it. I think it's a beautiful picture of fellowship. But when we were at the retreat, these men would gather together in this living room space, And while they were gathering together in that living room space, we would not just look at God's word, but also we began to pray together. We were looking to each other to lean into each other in prayer. We'd take turns at the very end of these sessions, the last, the next to the last one, the fourth session. We took turns to pray intentionally, out loud. Those that felt comfortable, and these men were just pouring out their hearts about their friends and their family and what they're going through. I appreciate when I was praying, I felt, I felt Victor reach over and put his hand on my shoulder, and then Stephen came behind me and put his hands on my shoulder. So, and, and, and that was to let me know, hey, we're with you. That is true fellowship. That's what it's all about. So suck it up, buttercup, when you're going through hard times and you ain't got nobody to lean on because you chose not to lean on anybody. You know why we have life groups? So you can cultivate Fellowship. You know why we have Flourish? So y'all can cultivate fellowship. You know why we get together for certain functions and activities like picnics and so forth? So we can cultivate fellowship. So if you're going to suck your thumb in the corner and say, I just don't, I'm just an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. I can't do this. Then you're not giving yourself a chance. Give yourself the opportunity to have fellowship because there's these beautiful, wonderful, amazing benefits that come from that. It's, it's cultivate, uh, cultivating these spiritual learning that you can get through one another. It's creating these meaningful, lasting uh, f- friendships. Some of your closest friends that you'll ever have are through these fellowships, but also it constructs this biblical unity that comes through prayer, bearing one another's burdens. I like, as you go further in Acts chapter 2 and verse 45, I like reading how intentional Uh, luke is when he wrote this about the body of believers he said and all that believed were together in verse 45 and all things common they had all things common you know that is that's unity that's like-mindedness verse 46 and they continue daily with one accord that's beautiful isn't it It, it's easy to be unified with those that are like-minded that are going in the same direction The problem with so many people is they get together and they have fellowships and relationships, not true fellowship, but with people that are not like-minded. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. That's what God's Word says in the book of Psalms 133 and verse 1. There's so many blessings that come from that. Now evaluate yourself. Again, those questions I asked you at the very beginning. Who do you spend your social time with? The Bible calls it when we are with those that are non believers being unequally yoked. Now, yes, I know Jesus was a friend of sinners. I'm not saying that we're going, we're not going to have occasions where we are spending time with those that are non believers. That happens. But when they become your closest friends, when they become your allies, when they become, when they become the person you lean into when you need marital advice, they become the people you lean on when you're going through hard times. Then I'm going to say, without trying to be mean, the reality is you are leaning on the wrong people because they are not like-minded. Yeah. To be unequally yoked according to Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 is basically this idea of yoking up like mules would in the field. I was driving to Mansfield and while I was on, on, uh, on the highway, I looked to the right and I saw this beautiful scene of, uh, of a man uh, that was plowing his field with a couple of mules and he was an Amish man. What a beautiful picture. But the reality hit me too. What a difficult thing. I mean, that's old school and that's the way they work because you have to make sure these two mules are willing to work together and you yoke them together to go in the same direction so you can plow straight forward and make reasonable grooves in the ground that you can actually have production when you plant your plants. And, and here's the reality. That's the way it works with believers. we got to be plowing the same direction. We've got to be yoked with those that are like faith and like-minded. In order to do that, You have to stop and evaluate your social life. Who do you spend the majority of your time with? And so we go a little further than that because the Bible doesn't just stop with that connection. It's not just about friendship. It's not just about fellowship. But we're going to shift gears completely and go to another portion of Scripture. Everybody with me? Yes, sir. Yes, good, because we're going to 1 Timothy. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Who's speaking here? Anybody have an idea who's talking, who's, who's investing in Timothy? Anybody know? Say it. Come on, help me. What? Paul? Paul. Paul was a beautiful p- a picture of what a mentor looks like. See, in order to have healthy relationships, you don't need, it's not just about friendships. It, it's, it's not just about fellowships. It's also about mentorship. You need mentors in your life. So in verse 12 of 1 Timothy 4, let let no man despise thy youth, Paul says to Timothy. But he says, be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and in spirit and faith and purity. Christian mentoring starts with leading by example. Mm -hmm. That's where it is. It's it's one of those areas of our life that we desperately need. You say, well, I don't need a mentor. Yes, you do. Everybody needs a mentor. Everybody needs somebody in their life they can look up to. Y'all follow me? Yes, sir. So, well, I'm not sure who my mentor would be. Well, a Christian mentor is somebody that's, it, it, he's pointing you to Christ continuously with his lifestyle. He's such a beautiful example of what life is meant to look like according to God's word. That's what Christian mentoring is. It's, about, it's more than just self-improvement. It's more than personal development. It's more than that. It's about helping people become more and more like uh, one another and looking like Christ through that. Yeah. You, you're being an example of what Jesus looked like. And therefore, that person wants to look like that. Yeah. Let me break it down for you. Because this helped me when I was a kid. I didn't really know what a mentor was until much later in my life. I had two, two or three people that really stood out in my life as mentors let me show you two of them, okay? Two of them would be Dalton Robertson and Mrs. Spears. Mrs. Spears is right here. This is Miss. Miss, Miss Spears was one of my, uh, believe it or not, I had an English teacher. I know you can't tell when I preach, but she was my English teacher, and she was such an encouragement to her, to me because Miss Spears, uh, her husband was a pastor, and when I first surrendered to the preach, when I was just a young boy, I was fourteen. They allowed me to come to their church and preach. Now there's only about 20 people in the church, but they invested in me and she would sit down with me after class and teach me how to write an outline and the subpoints to an outline and the importance of being intentional when I'm digging in the text and expository. And that meant so much to me. I had no idea how much of a mentor my English teacher was to me. She would always preach at me when I would go out. And I didn't do this very often with the wrong girl, or she thought was the wrong girl. She was like having a second mom. And finally, I, I you know, she found out that me and Brianna were getting married, and she said, "I knew you. If you just stuck with it, Dave, God would give you the perfect wife." And so she was always that cheerleader. But she didn't just preach at me. She lived what she preached. She was an example. Y'all follow me, yes, sir. Dalton Robertson. I remember the day that Dalton came to my school because I went to a Christian school and he preached in the chapel. And I'm like, man, I love this. This guy's got it. It it just spoke to my heart. It convicted me. One of the funniest guys, too. And such a brilliant man. An author, has a doctor's degree. He's just amazing. And I went home and I told my mom, I said, you know, we've been talking about leaving Anchor Baptist Church, which was in Priceville, Alabama. And considering another church, because our our church in uh, Priceville was just, it it wasn't going anywhere. Where there's no vision, the people perish. And and so our church was falling apart. They had an idea of having a bus ministry. And over time, um, the bus just, the tires dry rotted. It never went anywhere. And we were struggling. But that pastor was a beautiful man. Inside and out, he just showed Christ in his life. But he was struggling because he was getting older. And he was uh, in so many ways a mentor to me, but we had to transition. And so we went to their church or Dalton's church. (laughs) I didn't know it would be in a civic center and there would be no youth group, but I was like, let's do this. And there was just a handful and it was a church plant. And I loved being around Dalton because Dalton would invite me to his house and we'd hang out and I'd eat with his family. I'd fellowship real fellowship with them. We, he, he was just an enjoyment to be with. He would take me, he introduced me to Waffle House, and that's where we'd have Bible study before we'd go door to door when door to door was a thing because in Alabama, you could do it without getting shot. And you go from door to door and knock on the door, introduce the, yourself, give the gospel, and so forth. He was mentoring me. Y'all following me? Yep. He taught me things that I would have never even learned in college because he was personally investing in my life. Who's your mentor? Who's the example for you? Who's your kid's mentor? He said, well, I am. Well, they need more than you. Outside of your family, who's your kid's mentor? Who's your girlfriend's mentor? Who's your boyfriend's mentor? Who's your wife's mentor? Who's your husband's mentor? You guys just doing it on your own? If you want healthy relationships, you need mentors in your life. These people changed my life. That church went from 25 to 2,500. That's how big the church is now, and God is on the move. You know who else was a mentor for me? Imagine this. Just got married in East Tennessee, and my landlord becomes a mentor to me. His name was Bernie. I don't have a picture of him, but Bernie was such a great guy. Bernie would go above and beyond to invest in me and my wife. More my wife than me because, you know, he just felt like so excited for her because she was having that first little one, and so he wanted to remodel the little place we were living in and take care of her ever every need that she had. He was an older gentleman, very wealthy, but he would go above and beyond to invest in my family, mentoring. So if you think you're not a mentor, and you don't want to be a mentor. Here's the reality. You're a mentor whether you want to be or not. Everybody has somebody looking at them. And they are going to mimic what you do. So be thou the example. And through that, you're going to cultivate some relationships that are healthy for your life. They're beneficial Paul said in Philippians 4, 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace, do. I need you to do those things. The way I'm living according to the lifestyle that God ordained for us to live, I need you to follow my lead and do those things. Mentor, mentor, mentor somebody. The Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is our greatest example of mentorship. How he invested in the 12 disciples. I, it is incredible. It is incredible what he did with these guys. He lived life with these guys. He was an example in every shape, form, and fashion. Now again, come on people. Who are you mentoring? Who in your life is a mentor? Is it a person that loves Jesus Christ? Is it somebody that you can lean into and really follow their lead according to Scripture? Benjamin Franklin once said, a good example is the best sermon. Every time I stand before somebody and preach or in my home lead my kids, I am I'm literally, as Benjamin Franklin said, I, I, I'm preaching a sermon through my lifestyle. You are preaching to somebody. I just don't know if it's a good sermon. Only you can determine that. But Scripture doesn't stop here. As we keep on going in 1 Timothy 4, we go to the next passage of Scripture and we see the fourth connection, which is discipleship. That's an odd word, huh? For some, they don't know what that word means. So I'm going to explain a little bit. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So Paul says, I need you to focus on these things. These things are vitally important. And I'm going to be there. And when I get there, he literally takes the time to invest in Timothy these areas. Discipleship is the process of making someone become more like Christ through teaching and living. Through your teaching and your living, you're teaching somebody else how to become more like Christ. You say, that sounds very similar to mentorship, It is. It's very similar, but there's some unique things about it that separate it from just being a mentor. Um, learning leads, and this may sound elementary to you, but learning leads to teaching and teaching leads to learning. You follow me? Let me read scripture on that. 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. It's important for you and me as believers of Jesus Christ to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And then to make disciples. There are disciples and there are disciple makers. And sometimes you can be both. You can be a disciple and a disciple maker. But ultimately, cultivating healthy relationships requires us to make disciples and be a disciple maker. We're not going to just be somebody that's going along the path, finding, following the lead of somebody else. Eventually, we have to lead. That cultivates healthy relationships. Leading well is very important in the sense that you need to know where you're going. Uh, the Bible speaks of Jesus specifically who talks about the blind leading the blind, those that are clueless trying to lead those that are clueless. You follow me? Yeah. You ever... Been in your car and you had a number of people that are following you. And so you use your GPS and you think you're on the right track. And before you know it, you're in a gas station parking lot and you're turning around and they're turning around. And then you go down the wrong road and you do a U-turn and they do a U-turn. They're following you, thinking you know where you're going, even though you're going left, right, and everywhere but the right direction. They are counting on you to lead them in the right direction. And same with discipleship. Sometimes we are leading to the left, to the right, because we don't really understand what we're teaching, but we're acting like we are. That is not being a disciple maker. That is somebody that is not grounded. And if you're not grounded, you need to properly know God's word in in, in order to invest God's word in somebody else's life. Let me break that down. Paul gives Timothy, his, his disciple, three elements by which to learn and to teach. Reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Reading, that's the scripture. Exhortation is urging and doctrine is teaching. And so if we are to be a disciple, those are things that we have to lead well in and, and practice and know and, and, have, and be grounded in. Is everybody following me? So in Second Timothy, Paul follows up with Timothy on what to do with the knowledge that he's learned and obtained. He says in Second Timothy 2, Excuse me, 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He said, just keep on keeping on. Don't slow down. Don't stop. Keep being the disciple God called you to be. But not only that, go a little further with it. You need to use what you've learned in the profitable doctrine for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness, he said apply these things but also spread these things in other people's lives. Disciples make disciples. Everybody understand cuz discipleship comes by learning but it also discipleship comes by living. You're being an example every day. It's kind of let me paraphrase 1 Timothy 4:15 and 16. It, it, Paul says practice these things, Emerge yourself in these things, okay? Everything I taught you, apply them. Make sure your mind is infiltrated with these things. And keep close watch of yourself when teaching these things. In other words, don't do anything or preach anything. Let me say it that way. If you're not practicing it yourself, make sure you're applying it in your own life. The idea of discipleship is to have transferred to your mindset, into your functioning, this very thing, the thoughts and the processes of Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, here's where we're at. I'm just sum this up. Everybody with me? Every one of these these elements are key to healthy, productive relationships. And if you're lacking in one of these, you need to step back, evaluate your social life, and see where you're missing these areas or which ones you're missing. Who is in your life that's, Controlling you, influencing you, leading you. And that right there will tell you if you have a healthy relationship, the way God's word says. You have to evaluate. Here's the truth. For me, I know there's some of these areas that I struggle in. I, I, I love developing friendships. But sometimes fellowship's not my thing. You all know what I'm saying? Sometimes you want to be alone. You don't, you don't want to get around other people. Mentorship can be exhausting. Discipleship can even be more exhausting because you have to take time out of your week to invest somebody into somebody's life and consistently do it until you see that they are now a disciple and train them to start discipling somebody else. That's, that takes time. Let me, let me remind you, for a pastor... It's easy for my fellowship only to be within the church in my ministry. That is not healthy. If you have a ministry and only within that ministry you are cultivating fellowship, that is not healthy. You all follow me? Because here's what happens, especially if you're leading that ministry. You're constantly bearing everybody's burdens. And it's difficult for you to let go and let somebody else bear your burdens because you're leading. You're, You're doing more leading than fellowshipping. There's a danger there. And so a healthy relationship is going to start with you because you have to make a decision to get into people's lives and allow people to get into your life. And sometimes that's hard to do. So each of these elements, fellowship, mentorship, discipleship, uh, friendship, each one of these are key components to developing healthy relationships. Where are you at? You all with me? where are you at with your relationships because Thrive Church is going to struggle if you struggle because you're part of this body if you're not healthy in your relationships because you're not a part of the relationships within this church you might struggle really bad so let go and get in get in how many feel like this is where God has called you to be now you don't have to raise your hand but in your heart in your mind is this where God called you to be Because if not, then you need to find out where God called you to be and go all in. And and make sure you're developing healthy relationships. I've had people at Fellowship that come to me when I was on staff at Fellowship Baptist Church that said, I can't stay in here any longer. And we'd talk it through and i come to find out. It's because they weren't creating, cultivating, developing healthy relationships. Now some of it was on them and some of it was on us. But the reality is they needed to be where they could grow in those relationships. And the same goes for Thrive Church. You think the life group leaders are like, you know what I want to do? I want to take an hour and a half out of my evening, put together some food, maybe for some babysitting, some activities. We're going to dive into a book and then, you know what? See if people come out because this is just what I want to do. No, not all the time. But the reality is that life group leader is doing it for others not just themselves they want to invest they want you to be a part of that growth they want to cultivate you to have healthy relationships so take advantage of it take advantage of it life is better together hey flourish is one of those things that women might have to step back and go do I have time for this do I have time for this did I have time to watch that rerun of CSI it was almost 45 minutes. Do I have time to watch the rerun of The Office or whatever floats your boat? You made time. I'm sure you did. How about those that are a little bit more conservative? Did you have time to read that book or listen to that podcast or do your thing or go to the park? We make time for whatever we want to make time for. Y'all follow me? Yep. Come on now. So make time. This sounds selfish. Make time for yourself. Because sometimes you're helping everybody else and you're feeding everybody else spiritually speaking and you're bearing everybody else's burden but you're doing nothing for yourself. And because of that, you are suffering in your relationships because they're not healthy. And if you bear too many burdens, you're going to break. Because we were meant to bear one another's burdens, not everybody's burdens. With that thought in mind, could you just do this with me? Let's just have a moment with heads bowed and eyes closed. Now I'm going to have Victor softly play and I want us to take this moment to evaluate. All right? Man, I wish we had an altar. I love the old-fashioned altar where people can get real with God, get out of their comfort zone in their seat and just come down and pray. There's something about stepping out of your seat or your spot and just getting real. You know what I mean? But right now, you're just going to have to use that spot you're in. I'm going to do a little survey here. You ready? Ready? How many of you in this room feel like you give more than you get? Just be real. Raise your hand. You give more than you get. Raise it like you mean it. You give more than you get. Okay, you may put your hand down. How many in this room feel like because you've been doing that, your tank's empty? Come on, get real with me. Raise it like you mean it. You know what that means when your tank's empty? You're unhealthy. Something ain't right. And you're going to suffer from it. Your spouse is going to suffer from it. Your kids will probably suffer from it if they're still in your home. Somebody's going to suffer from it. So the question is, how do you change it? Let's go a little different direction, okay? How many of you in here can say, I believe with all my heart that I am truly developing friendships God's way. I have done that. Raise your hand. Okay, may put your hand down. Not too many. Interesting. How many say, Dave, I, I believe one of those connections, specifically the one on mentorship, I'm doing. I'm mentoring some people in my life. Would you raise your hand? Good. All right, we got a lot of mentors here. That's great. How many say, Dave, outside of my ministry, outside of my family, and this one's a little different. I mean, it could be outside of the church in some ways, but let's just say outside of the church, I'm fellowshipping in the right way, with believers. I, I have people in my life, socially, that are solid. And that could be a life group. It could be just activities. Would you raise your hand? You said said, that's, that's me. I have fellowship. I have fellowship. Okay. All right. Good. I hope you're not fudging that a little bit to make that work for you. Let's, be, let's just be real. My last one. Are you a disciple? Come on. Are you really? It's tough being a disciple because you've got to bear your cross. And you have to follow Christ. So my question is, first of all, can you honestly say you're a disciple and you're all in? I mean, you are doing everything you possibly can to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Would you raise your hand and raise it like you mean it? How many would say yes? Okay, good. There's three of you. Are you discipling somebody? Are you a disciple maker? You say, I'm not doing the greatest as a disciple, but I'm doing my best to create disciples. I'm working on this. Is there anybody in your life that you are discipling? If that's you and you say, yes, I have somebody I am discipling right now. Would you raise your hand? I've got three in here. Interesting. Guys, come on now. I'm with y'all. This is not good. This is not good. And if we are being transparent as a church we got to do something about this it is not my job it is not my job and only my job to develop Thrive Church and the people of Thrive Church it is our job nowhere in scripture are you going to find where the pastor does it all for a matter of fact he doesn't do a whole lot outside of preaching God's word the church as a whole is the one that fellowship together The church as a whole are the ones that are mentoring and discipling. The church as a whole are the ones that are developing and cultivating friendships. So this one is for every one of you. Will you join me to connect for all of these elements and try your best to make them happen as Thrive Church? Will you join Dave Liuzzo, Pastor Dave, and not let me do this all by myself? Can we do this as a church? If you're with me, I'm not saying it's perfect, but you're going to have to start with one of these connections.